بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وبه نستعين على أمور الدنيا والدين والعاقبة المتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وصلى الله وسلم على نبينا محمد وعلى آله والصحبه أجمعين إن شاء الله تعالى this evening is going to be our first session and these inshallah ta'ala are going to be continuous sessions where we're going to have important discussions with prominent imams, imams and guest speakers and today we have some highly esteemed guests with us and we're going to be discussing the topic of racism especially within the Muslim communities and this is of course a very important topic that must be discussed let me first introduce my guests on my left here we have Sheikh Abu Osama and he is meaning he doesn't require me to introduce him he's a well-known imam and a da'i that's been doing da'wah and uh, he's been calling to islam for many years in the usa he's been doing da'wah in the uk for a number of years especially here in birmingham in greenhill masjid and right now he's i believe in liverpool or many other places as well <laughs> sheikh's popping off in different places jazahullah khairan so he's well respected and well known and I'm sure we're going to benefit from him a lot today. We also have with us uh, Dr. Abdul Haq Baker, again, a very prominent figure in the Da'wah in the UK, very known. Uh, he's been uh, calling to Islam for about 30 years now. Uh, he's also a revert to Islam. Jazahullah khairan. And he was the chairman, I believe, of Brixton Mosque for many years. Right now, he is overseas in Dubai, I believe, uh, doing his thing, calling to Islam, educating the people. He has a number of publications and articles of various topics, and I'm sure we're going to get some beautiful gems from him today. Uh, without further ado, Tafadl, Sheikh Abdul Haq Baker, I'm sure you're with us right now, aren't you? Yes, I am. Wa alaikum salam, rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah khair for this invite, and um, I'm honored to be with you, brothers, and uh, my Sheikh Abu Usama al Dhahabi. Hayakum Allah, Dr. Abdul Haq, nothing but love for you. You know what time it is. Likewise, Sheikh. Likewise, mashallah. Um, all right, inshallah. We're going to jump straight into it. Um, Alhamdulillah, we are Muslims here. And we know that the religion of Islam is unique in that it has combated and taught that there is absolutely no place for racism within this deen. That being said, uh, before we even get into why is it that uh, some Muslims fail to live up to the standards that were set by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, what are some of the main causes that make people racist towards people of different color, of different ethnicity? So I'm gonna inshallah ta'ala start with our guest Sheikh Abu Osama and then move on to Dr. Abdul Haq. Bismillah alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulillah amma ba'd. As it relates to the reasons why we have this uh, phenomenon of racism, one of the simple reasons that I can mention is it is the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's the qadr. It is something that Allah ta'ala has decreed. In authentic hadith, the Prophet says, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, thalathatun min umur al-jahiliyyah lan tatruquha ummati abada. There are three things from the affairs of the people of al-jahiliyyah, the times of ignorance. He said, my ummah will never abandon these three things. Two of the three things he said, people will talk bad about other people's lineage. And number two, they will be proud and they will be arrogant about their own religion. So the Qadr, but we don't say the Qadr as if we're going to use that as a clutch and say that it's okay. 
Allah wrote, it's the Qadr. No, that's the Prophet just letting us know. In addition to that, the issue of ignorance about the religion, ignorance. If a person knew his religion, then he would know that in the Quran and the Sunnah, the issue of racism has been dealt with with such clarity that it leaves no doubt in the mind of the person who reads this religion, leaves no doubt that racism has no place in this religion. And that's indicative of the fact that the Prophet ﷺ had to deal with the issue directly with circumstances that transpired with his companions. So no one can come and take the verses out of context. No one can come and take the incidents and the hadith that spoke against racism can take them out of context. He made it very clear. There is no virtue for the Arab over the non-Arab or the white over the black and so forth and so on. So I would say it's the Qadr of Allah, ignorance as well. And lastly, arrogance, arrogance. The Prophet said about arrogance, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, very quickly, Arrogance is rejecting the truth and looking down on other people. When the truth comes to you, that Allah mentioned Adam, his creation, and Allah took from all of the parts of the earth. He took different soil, different textures, different colors. And this is why Adam's children come out white, black, red, yellow. And they come out easy to get along with, difficult to get along with, just like the different terrains in the earth. So the person rejects that. Kibbut is rejecting the truth and looking down upon people because the person comes from a different ethnic group. For an example, someone may be racist towards them and Allah knows best. Jazakallah khair. Now it really is a, a, a problem. And like you said, Islam has dealt with it. But uh, sometimes people are not educated enough to understand how Islam has dealt with it. And it comes with all these problems such as pride. Uh, among the things that we see is that sometimes some communities suffer more uh, of racism than others, even though it's prevalent in all societies. Uh, Dr. Abdul Haq, do you want to elaborate on, on that and perhaps also add to some of the causes and the root causes of it? Yes, Jazakallah khair. I think that what Sheikh Abu Usama um, touched upon was, was very emphatic and comprehensive. But I want to connect to the, the, the verse and the ayat where he's, uh, that refers to the creation of Adam and the description that he was made from um, the black mud out of which all the different colors, different hues were extracted. And I want to come from a particular angle on this now in the the blackness and any time blackness is promoted and black excellence is upheld and we see this with the black lives matter um at the moment and we're not talking about black lives matter the movement we do not subscribe or support the movement in any shape or form because they have a myriad of other underlying ideologies we're talking about black lives matter the cause and what you'll see is that when black people speak about themselves when they speak up for themselves when they speak with resilience what you then see is a diminishing and a dilution from fellow co-religionists okay co-religious including some um, who are, are black as well in that we should not be speaking up about black lives we should not be speaking in defense of the brutality that's been meted out for centuries from a western context of black lives and when speaking in this way, we're accused of nationalism or reverse racism and the like. And um, the reason I'm coming from this particular angle, because there's an inherent problem there of ethnic racism amongst the Muslims. 
But that ethnic racism also emanates from a societal perspective and an inferiority complex. Because what we saw many um, decades, if not centuries ago, is that when white supremacist societies, imperialist societies started rising up and building themselves up, we saw that they then decided to include the Irish, who were not considered white at that particular time, other parts of Europe as white because they had made a distinction between black ethnicities, races, and white races. And so some of those white races that were subjugated but were not formally referred to as being part of the white racial caste or class had to become incorporated in order to perpetuate that superior distinction that was being made by white society. Unfortunately, what we saw is that Arab communities were then considered white from a Western perspective, and they embrace that. Yes. And uh, uh, post-colonialism, we see that uh, the Asians, India, Pakistan, because of the colonial influence that what was upon them and the previous caste system, that we saw that because of their um, accepting this premise of closer proximity to whiteness due to their complexion, they yes. then felt that they were higher up the pecking order, this hierarchical racial pecking order, um, this Darwinian theory, if you like. And so they then frowned upon those of black, darker complexions, not only from amongst their own um, ethnicities, but from the African continent as well. Uh, Gandhi, who's held as a hero to, to many of them, was racist in himself and in South Africa. His comments concerning black people and um, our apparent inferiority intellectually was, was well known from, from his comments there. So we see that happened amongst the, the South, the Asians particularly. We see that happened amongst the Arabs who I think in the early 20th century, maybe 19th century, late 19th century, were included by white Europeans as being white. And we see that that was something that a lot of the um, um, Arabs took on board as well. So there was this Western construct regarding race, which only exacerbated the race, racism that would, had been frowned upon and um, highlighted as being impermissible from religion. So it wasn't only from a religious context, it was from a societal hierarchical context, that hierarchy being a Western construct. Jazakallah khair. So it is with the rise of the West, if you will, that kind of... Uh, amplified the racist tendency that perhaps was prevalent in societies and kind of turned it into a black versus white or white versus black thing. Absolutely. And I think that you'll see that that continues today. As I mentioned at the beginning of, of, of what I, uh, my answer to you, in that whenever black voices raise themselves or rise, you'll see that diminishing of other religious entities, co-religionists, saying all lives matter, for example, or why are you speaking to this issue? And George Floyd and Breonna Taylor weren't Muslim, so why are you speaking um, to this particular issue? However, when it comes to other Muslim ethnicities, the Uyghurs, the Rohingyas, the Palestinians, the Kashmiris, and the black voice is supportive of those, those, those ethnicities, those Muslim ethnicities, nothing is said about those distinctions and those focus, focusing upon those particular Muslim ethnicities. 
But as soon as it comes to blackness, the issue arises and it rages and the, dimi the, the diminishing takes place and the dilution takes place, almost as though the voice of, of black minorities, black Muslims, is insignificant. So um, this is an element of racism, I think, that's very, very contemporary, but at the root of it is the racism, uh, religious racism. Um, I say religious racism, which is an oxymoron in terms, but that emanates from Muslims, should we say, because there is no racism in, in Islam, as Abu Usama has correctly highlighted, mashallah. No, jazakallah khair. Um, so you know how we have Islam uh, with the, with a very clear anti-racist message, and then you have this, if you will, uh, Western construct that you've talked about. Um, why is it that the message of Islam wasn't strong enough to steer people towards the correct, or why was it not that once you identify yourself as a Muslim and you understand that we shouldn't see color or we shouldn't see ethnicities. We're all one ummah under Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why is it that that message wasn't enough to steer Muslims towards that direction and you still have these um, these generalizations, these stereotypes, people being racist towards uh, others, particularly black people. Would you say part of the problem is that people don't appreciate or Muslims don't appreciate how it was uh, that uh, Islam spread initially in Africa and the um, the role that Muslims from Africa or, or, or black Muslims had in the spread of Islam initially and that perhaps a re-education if you will would take a big part in people appreciating the contributions of the Muslims from Africa. Well I think Abu Rayyan that we have to understand, although racism is a very important challenge and issue that's on the table is contemporary and it causes a lot of confusion. Although that is the case, there are other issues that are more pressing that the Muslim Ummah falls short of. So as a result of that conventional thinking would have you to know if those things that are more important than racism are being misunderstood or practiced the wrong way, then clearly we're going to make mistakes in other aspects of the religion. For an example, let's take that same question and ask, why is it that Muslims don't understand and pay attention to the importance of the cornerstone of this religion? And that's the Tawheed of Allah. Why is it that Muslims don't understand and don't practice and buy into the significance of taking the Prophet ﷺ as an example to be followed so that we can navigate through our lives. So the Ummah, individuals from our Ummah, may Allah forgive all of us, help all of us, we fall short of those things. Racism by default being lesser in significance than the Tawheed of Allah and following the Sunnah is one of those issues from our religion that we don't hold on to, that we don't practice it the right way. But at the same time, I would like to say this, that they're always going to be a group of people who are doing things the right way. So people do understand and they do uh, find themselves able to transcend this stuff that we grew up in and we're exposed to the racism in the Western countries that we come from and where we were born, us, but other countries that people were dealing with. So I found both sides of the coin being represented. I found those people who forced me to taste racism in the way they dealt with me 
And I found at the same time, other people who did not make me feel that at all. And I don't think our religion is telling us that uh, we have to become blind to the reality of racism. And we're just looking around and we're saying, I don't see you for the reality of your ethnicity. And you don't see me. And we don't see this Chinese brother. And we don't know. Allah created us and he made us nations and tribes, as he said in the Quran, so that we can get to know each other. And by mixing and having ihtikak and ikhtilat and mixing with each other, we share each other's good that each you know group is bringing to the table. So I think it's just a simple issue of people just not being uh, dedicated to practicing these aspects of the religion that the Prophet came and dealt with them, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in very clear and precise terms that no one else can come now, like Abdul Haq used the ayat, the hadith that the Prophet told us, وسلم, and the Quran as well, that Allah created Adam from mud. A lot of emphasis is on the color of, the, of, the, of, of, of that mud. And things can be said about that genetically and other than that. But the Muslim can't sit there who happens to be, for an example, from Africa, of color. And he wants to beat a drum that he himself is superior than everybody else because the color of the mud was closer to his color than anyone else. And therefore, everyone else is derivative of him being the asl. No, Islam is not going to allow you to jump up and down and to make that point, make that claim. Because again, as I've said, the Prophet mentioned, there's no superiority of the white over the black, the Arab over the non-Arab, the rich over the poor. The differences that exist, what makes you better is the fact that you have taqwa and you're practicing the religion. And that's established by the Quran and established by the Sunnah. So there's no playing around with it because it is ex it's extremely clear. Uh, I just want to add to that. Sometimes what happens is we, this is actually a bigger problem. The way people confuse Muslims with Islam and they will see Muslims that are imperfect, Muslims that are doing problematic things mm. and they would like to attribute that to uh, Islam. I think uh, you could easily argue here that when we see a lot of Muslims falling into these uh, discrimination and racism and self-superiority and all that, that people might then think that this is Islamic. And it's important that we always put the message out that our religion, like you said, dealt with it. Our religion is a religion that treats everyone equally. There's no superiority over any nation, any group of people. But when you have some of the people that are ascribing to Islam doing it, I think they must be called out. They must be corrected. And uh, I think educating the people of the Sunnah of the Prophet, of the Seed of the Prophet, is a part of what would help uh, people move on from this way of thinking. It should humble you. Being a Muslim should humble you when you're an abd for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think this is very important. I think also for the people who are listening right now, this is a teaching moment. As we sit down and we discuss these things, I think we should go away with a resolve to be better, to do better. Because this point that you mentioned just, around, just now, Afwan Dr. Abdul Haq, it shows that we as Muslims have a responsibility because non-Muslims, for an example, will look at us and say, if your religion was so good and your prophet was so good, وسلم, then why is this going on and why is that going on? So we say, yes, you have to look at the religion, but people are going to look at us, the adherents of the religion, because that's something natural. 
And then we have that dua of the believers in the Quran asking Allah wala taj'alna fitnatan lilladheena kafaru. Don't make us a fitna for the people who are disbelievers so they can look at us and get a bad understanding of Islam. And well, as you mentioned earlier that the first Muslims, the companions and those who came after them, when they traveled to Indonesia and all these other places, the people from Yemen, they spread Islam because of the actions that the people saw from them. Um, I would, I would, before I get back to Abdul Haq, I want to add one point and ask a question, which is that a lot of reverts, they get attracted to Islam because of its, uh, of course, because of its beauty and because how it's a religion that is for everybody. And that is represented in the Muslims around the world. It's very diverse. The Muslims are from all over the world. And a lot of people, they enter into Islam uh, because they see that once you enter into this religion, then there is nobody that's going to look down upon you. And sometimes they might face some challenges when they meet Muslims that still have these tendencies. And they find that confusing because they say, wait a minute, I thought Islam was supposed to be this way. What's going on? So um, Abdul Haq, as a revert yourself, can you talk about some of these challenges when you see uh, what with the Muslims that you might meet as a revert, someone that's new to Islam? Uh, sometimes you might accept Islam through the hands of people that you don't share the same ethnicity with. And uh, if you could just um, say a few things around that, inshallah. Alhamdulillah, very good question. Um, I'd like to start by saying that before I embraced Islam, before Allah guided me to Islam, mashallah, my circle did not include um, many Asians at all. Actually, it was just one, and it was a non-practicing um, uh, Asian, a Pakistani, who was amongst my crew, my peeps, if you like, uh, the people I, I, I fraternized with. And so, and even Arabs. So my, the, who, who we moved with, the people I moved amongst were black, white, predominantly. So we stayed away from all other cultures, um, Asian or whatever. Now, when I embraced Islam, I did not e expect, from a UK context, uh, Sheikh Abu Osama can speak from a US context, I did not expect or anticipate that the racism that we would experience would be worse than the racism we experienced before we embraced Islam from wider society. And that was a, a factor that continues to, continues to surprise me to this day, based on what we've been discussing, that this religion has foundations that speak against racism of the type that we are seeing across the world today. So when I came to Islam and we, we embraced, we came because of that cosmopolitan um, environment be, because of the, 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 the message, that tenor that in Surah Hujarat that Allah has made us into tribes and nations that we may know each other. We started hearing these verses, these ayats of Quran and hadith concerning Bilal, Ibn Rabah, and, and it became almost tokenistic to the extent that Bilal being a great Sahaba who we have a lot of love for, because we had that name thrown at us we're going to a mosque that was predominantly Asian. The Adhan was about to be called. The regular Muaddin would pause and ask one of us black brothers if we wanted to call the Adhan because Bilal called the Adhan. Now, some would say, well, that's a, a meritorious and noble request to do it. But there was a tokenism towards that. There was a stereotype that was placed towards that. So it's unsurprising, therefore, those who, of us who still had elements of Jahiliya and stereotypes from Jahiliya saw this stereotype 
and wouldn't step forward to call the Adhan, wouldn't want to call our children Bilal or call ourselves Bilal. This was a mistake on our behalf, but you can understand the psychology that we entered the deen with from stereotyping of white society against us. And now we were seeing that amongst Muslim communities. So in th that racism that was there was something that was in, in conflict with the message of Islam that we had embraced. And as many of us say, had we met Muslims before we had read about Islam and read the Quran and everything, would some of us have embraced Islam? Obviously it's Allah's qadr, but I know it may have taken some of us a bit longer in the process. And alhamdulillah, you speak about uh, taking shahada and whose hands we took shahada at. Alhamdulillah, the first masjid that I ever went into was Brixton Mosque. Um, the, 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 the individuals that did my shahada were like me. So that was an ideological um, uh, foundation, so the identity foundation and an ideological premise that became very, very firm. They were practicing elements of the Sunnah. They were black Muslims. I later learned a few months later that they'd struggled and strived to open this masjid because of the racism that they had been um, facing and experiencing from the 70s when some of them first embraced Islam. So Brixton Mosque opened in, uh, I think it was January, February of 1990. I embraced Islam in March 1990 of that year with uh, my friends and colleagues, mashallah to And for me, that was a huge blessing because I met others who took their shahada in predominantly Asian mosques or Arab mosques. And the immediate thing they felt was a sense of unbelonging, a sense of isolation a sense of initial tokenism and then being left to the wayside. Whereas with Brixton, we just continue to grow, engage, fraternize organically. And that was the blessing of the mosque. And I'm not talking about pro-blackness now, but I'm saying that where we, we had to um, engage with and embrace those who came from a similar background for us, this is what kept us rooted in the religion and made us, we were able to then focus upon the sunnah. Focus upon, as Abu Usama said, Tawheed. This is what we started learning. And I'll stop at this point that, that what we're witnessing today with many of the ills, just to re reinforce what um, uh, Sheikh Abu Usama said and reiterate aspects of what he's saying. If our Tawheed was sound, it would be easier to deal with these problems of, of racism. And Allah knows best. No, Jazakallah Khair. Uh, absolutely. Uh, may Allah make us of those whose Tawheed is sound. Um, a question that I want to ask uh, our brother Sheikh Abu Osama. Um, Abdul Haq mentioned uh, Brixton Masjid having a certain identity, and there are many masajid you have in the Pak community with their masajid, the Somali people with their masjids. Um, is there anything inherently wrong with people with the same ethnicity opening masajid? And if that it's in itself is not wrong, where do people then go about? Um, where do they go wrong? Is it not including others? Is the ideal model masjid supposed to be one that is multicultural, diverse, where everybody has a place? Because people tend to naturally want to uh, group with their own people. And that doesn't mean that if, if a Somali masjid is opened or a Pakistani masjid is opened, that they're against the other people. Sometimes that's the case, other times isn't. So what would be the correct balance right there? I think it's a simple issue. The ayat is clear concerning the fitrah. This is the natural way that Allah has created people. Birds of a feather flock together. 
And this issue of naming messages after people is something that is established in the fact that there were certain tribes that were companions where their messages were in their neighborhoods or where they came from. And that masjid was called Masjid Beni Salama because they were the majority of the people who attended that masjid. And they didn't understand that there's an ayat of the Quran or a hadith that commands them to make a consorted conscientious effort to go out and to bring people of different you know, backgrounds to their masjid. No, it doesn't make any sense. But because it's something that is natural, Al-Islam is not against that at all. This masjid, it's a masjid where predominantly African-Americans attend because that's where they're living at. And that masjid over there, people go to that university. So that's where they attend. So there's nothing wrong with that at all. The problem comes when people make it their business to make others feel this is not your masjid. This is a Pakistani masjid. This is a Bangladeshi masjid. This is a Hanafi masjid. And I've had that experience. I've had that experience where clearly you can go to these masajid and you won't learn anything about your religion because number one, they're pumping and pushing and paying attention to their culture. And number two, people are not reaching out to others because they don't look the same as the ones who are, you know, the predominant members of that masjid. So, but there's nothing wrong with that in the religion, nothing at all. No, I, I think um, Sheikh Abu Sam has covered that. What I would say is with Brixton as well, while it was predominantly black and converts, one of the first convert-led Salafi masjids in um, London, if not the UK, what you would see is that there were other ethnicities there. And, and Sheikh Abu Sama, who was at the helm, mashallah, as the imam, would see that. We had Algerians, we had Moroccans, we had Somalis, we had uh, um, some uh, Pakistani and Asians, Bangladeshis coming to the masjid. But the predominance was, as Sheikh Abu Sama said, we were, we were attached to Brixton. Brixton at the time was predominantly and still is predominantly black. So that's why we gravitated towards that, that masjid. And also, I think because of the cosmopolitan nature as well, there at that masjid, I saw um, and witnessed physically um, with my own eyes, and many still do, uh, more of the um, practice of Islam in the cultural aspect, if you like, due to the various ethnicities that came there. And there wasn't... Um, while there were more black uh, individuals attending, you didn't see a black culture pre prevalent over the mosque. They were really trying to adhere to and implement the sunnah. Whereas you would not find that in other masajid. And I include other Salafi masajid as well, because you may have, as you've mentioned, there may be Salafi masajid that have um, uh, predominantly Somali cult, um, Somalis attending, um, Pakistanis attending, Bangladeshis attending. And that culture was, predominant in the masjid. You could see it was there. Not the case with Brixton. And I, I'm not bigging up Brixton because I'm from there and everything like that, but that's what I saw and that's what attracted many from around London, even those landing in the country when um, uh, they first arrived and to see that within Brixton in the, the 90s. Excuse me, Abu Rayyan. I think this is really important, especially something that you should speak to. For the youngsters who are out there, who come from Somalia, for an example, yeah. Somali people tend to want to marry within their same tribe. A long time ago, this was a big challenge for the country of Somalia, where the parents would insist you have to marry from your tribe. So now the kids today, 
They don't have that. They don't hold on to that, to that nature, because they're meeting people in the university and so forth and so on. I don't want, and we can't afford, to allow any of our youngsters, based upon this last point that we talked about, we don't want them to lose sight of. It's important, and it is from the religion, that if your parents want you to marry someone from your own culture, that you try your best to fulfill that for them. And don't say, well, Islam is colorless. No, Islam is not colorless in that way. So when we say that, you know, people go to their masjid, uh, that their ethnic background is dominating, there's nothing wrong with that. So the kid understands from me that we're saying, they should understand from me that we're saying, that means if you're a Somali person, if you're Asian, if you're from Pakistan, Bangladesh, and your parents are really um, tough on you about marrying from your culture, obviously you should marry the one who is the best suited for you, but that feeling of theirs is not necessarily wrong. It doesn't mean that you have to go against what they're saying with this concept, Islam doesn't look at compatibility, al kafaa no, no, I, I agree with you. I just want to add one point, which is uh, important. When when we're speaking to the one trying to get married, the young sister, the young brother, then uh, and they're looking for a spouse, it's important that they do what you just did and take into consideration what their parents want. And there, there's many angles and layers to this, including sometimes a mother doesn't even understand the language of the person that is right. they marrying, and, and th that causes problems. But at the same token, I would like to uh, perhaps speak to some of the parents themselves, and that is, if your daughter, if your son wants to marry someone outside of your culture, outside of your country, and, and this person, his deen and his akhlaq impresses you, then don't be too hard on them. In fact, it is, I guess, uh, with them, it's let them marry the person they want to marry because a lot of times what happens is we stop them and we insist they marry from within their culture, within their country. Sometimes it's for racist reasons, other times it's for whatever else reasons. And that causes these people to run off with each other anyway. Yes. So having that wisdom and that hikmah to appreciate that uh, our parents have certain needs sometimes and sometimes those are legitimate, other times they're not. And in the, in the same token that we also appreciate what the young folks want and the advice that you gave them is beautiful. Try and listen to your parents, appreciate the culture differences. But if you end up wanting to marry someone from outside of your culture, that's perfectly fine as well. And uh, it's just about being balanced in your approach, being balanced in your approach. Um, and can, can I speak to that? I think there's an important caveat to, to add to that as well. And that in the event of the young person wanting, wanting to marry out of their culture and the parents um, rejecting that on the premise that it's a convert, because we hear this a lot, it's a convert, as though converts are dirty, as though converts are unworthy to be married um, to their daughters or sons or whatever. And we have to look at the fact that the best generation of mankind ever to come forward from mankind were converts. The Sahaba, and we need to look at that and consider that. And and we're always told as converts, especially amongst the um, uh, the Arab and Asian communities, uh, and I've heard it many times. You converts are better than us because you chose the religion. We were born and raised in the religion, so we didn't really take it seriously and everything. So that's okay when you're speaking in a very um, cordial way, and there's no. Um, uh, threat, if you like, or concern that this individual will one day marry your daughter or marry your son. However, when it comes to the marriage issue, that same 
um, praise, that same uh, uh, adoration is no longer there. It's almost as though don't marry these converts because of their background, where they come from. Yes, there are some issues with some converts, but there are also issues with those who've been Muslims all of their lives. The issue of uh, nikah and getting married is one of the dynamics and the variables that more than most other issues, you see the racism in our community. This is when you see it, especially. And it's just not about converts and people born and raised on Islam. It's also people from the same tribe, from the same country. This is when you start to see the asabiyah or the ansariyah, this racism that uh, a lot of people foster and cultivate within their societies. Uh, I think we would all be better off if we if we stick stuck to the hadith of the Prophet If someone that has the good akhlaq and good deen uh, comes to you seeking your daughter's hands in marriage or, 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 or vice versa, then this person should be allowed. That's the model that we want. But there is a lot of layers to this as well. I want to, inshallah ta'ala, um, conclude or talk a little bit about what can uh, us as Muslims or Imams or Muslim leadership in general do to uh, combat this uh, social ill that we have of unsuriya and racism more? Um, do, do, do you want to say something about that, Sheikhana? Yeah, I think as um, Imams and people who have positions of leadership and responsibility of the community, we ourselves have to know and understand the correct Islamic narrative, the middle path in every issue. We first have to come to understand it. After that, have the courage to call to it and to disseminate that information, give dawah to it, because this is not a topic that people can talk about in a lot of mischiefs. So it's swept under the carpet and it's left to remain dormant and the folder, the confusion just is perpetual. So I think you come to know about the reality and you give dawah to it and you raise the consciousness of the people, obviously with wisdom, with softness, with kindness, with respect. And finally, I think it's really important that we uh, understand as leaders, the uh, children that we're dealing with, this last generation, these millennials right now, there's a lot of like hitting uh, challenges connected to racism that we're not even aware of. We're not even, we're still dealing with the old issues. Abdul Haqqa, the doctor mentioned some of that earlier. I'm hoping that he'll allude to some of that, inshallah, when he uh, chimes in on this issue. I just think as people who are leading the community, we have to take the bull by the horns on this issue and uh, just continuously deal with it until we can ultimately eradicate our, you know, hearts to the best of our abilities from this sickness of uh, al-asabiyya, the ansariya, racism. Um, I think that what one thing that you're asking about, um, my brother, how it can be addressed, and, and, and I'm going to go right down the line on this. What needs to happen is we need to redress the history that is being told about Islam um, and the place of, of, of luminary figures in Islam. We need to highlight um, the number of the Sahaba that were around the Prophet who were black. 
we need to talk about the armies that conquered Egypt and, and, um, and went into um, parts of India that were black. We need to talk about the, the wife of the Prophet who was black. We, you've mentioned earlier on about um, uh, Africa being the first place after Makkah that where Islam started spreading. And we need to talk about the, the power uh, and the, the, the nation state that the Prophet ﷺ directed the fledgling um, community of Muslims to make hijrah to in Abyssinia with Najashi at the time. That that was a superpower at that particular time that even the Makkan um, Quraysh could not um, go to by force. They had to go there with respect and appeal to the Najashi regarding um, the, the early Sahaba. None of this is spoken about in detail. When we look at the Americas, for example, and we're talking about Latin America or South America, where my mother's from, we don't speak about the, the Muslims having traversed those lands and North America. Everything to do with uh, blackness within Islam is viewed from a perspective of slavery. Now, and Bilal being one of those, no one um, says anything about Shu'ayb al-Rumi. I believe it is, um, and Suhaib al-Rumi and, and others who, um, Samuel al-Farsi, the, these are put to the side because of an issue of ethnicity. So it's very important that the ignorance that has been transferred from our parents to the younger generations is stopped, is thwarted head on with an education, a continuous education about the history of Islam and who these personalities were, were, not just the Sahaba, we see from the Tabi'een, the Atba Tabi'een, right the way up until present day. When we're talking about ulama as well now, speaking from the Sunnah, and I spoke about this very recently uh, um, on the Doctor's Lab podcast with Dr. Khalid um, um, Green yesterday, we see there's a reference to a particular region regarding scholasticism, being the, the Middle East, being the, the Gulf. There's, there's hardly any reference or knowledge about scholars of African descent. There's hardly reference or um, knowledge of scholars of Indian descent in that instance as well, um, like the great Sheikh Bagheeddin Shah, Rahimallah. But talking back to the African um, perspective, there, how many scholars exist today? How many scholars emanated from Africa that we don't know and we don't reference? And there's been this Arabization of Islam, yet, the Arab community, and I'm not speaking anti-Arab or any anti-anything else, the Arab community are amongst the smallest populations in the Muslim diaspora, in the Muslim population as it were. So these things need to be spoken to, but also I will say this, and I will stop at this particular point. When you bring some of the issues that I'm speaking about now, Sheikh Abu Osama is speaking about now, even those of our same ethnicities, black Muslims, black students of knowledge, don't want to highlight these issues. They feel that you're raising something that's problematic. When we hear scholars refer to, and Sheikh Abu Sama, alhamdulillah, when he's actually heard it during translation, has dealt with it. When you hear Sheikhs giving the story of um, um, uh, Adam and Hawa and their descendants and uh, Habil Waqabil and one of the, the, the sisters being white and beautiful and the other one being black and ugly. And you've got our students of knowledge of our ethnicity remaining silent on that, with the exception of Abu Sama and a few others, mashallah to Barakla. When you see these racist statements, because that's exactly what they are, I don't care if it's coming from scholars, these racist stereotypes or prejudices that are coming and perceptions, they need to be addressed head on. Because Islam is not an Arabized faith. It's not an Asian-fied race. It's not an Africanized race. Islam is Islam, submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all of mankind. Um, and we've got to stop giving this 
preponderance and this dominance to particular ethnicities because, okay, the region from where Islam was revealed or where the wealth is or where the, the, the Haramain happens to be or because of scholars that previously came from somewhere else that's other than Africa. I'm going off a little bit here and I think I need to, and, and it's not tangential, but it's speaking directly to the point of this topic about racism. And those who have to deal with it are not only the non-blacks, but some of our black um, brothers and sisters as well, who have got an, uh, an altogether different paradigm as to how they understand Islam. Everything Arab means it's Islam. Anything non-Arab means it's not Islam. The culture of blackness is even away from Islam. They've adopted an Arab culture, an Asian culture. And I'll say, uh, as a black man, I don't see why I should wear shawar khamis. Now, you may say, what about wearing a thobe? Thobe is something that is not only peculiar to the Arab um, uh, um, world, it's also peculiar to the African world, mashallah, and by the dress of Abu Usama, um, Sheikh Abu Usama, hafidahullah, you'll see the Africanization um, in that instance there. Islam didn't come to take away our culture, but what it came to do was enhance those aspects of us and our cultures that are conducive to Islam. Anything that is unconducive should be left uh, um, out and i'll stop at that point inshallah no jazakallah khair. i just want to add one point which is uh, quite relevant which is that because of the confusion that a lot of people see islam as uniquely arab or it is a religion for the arabs that now you have a lot of people that are non-arab saying i don't want nothing to do with islam and you have a lot of i've actually seen some people that have left islam saying We've all been duped. Yes, well, this was the religion of the Arabs. And they even go as far as uh, with these conspiracy theories that Allah is the God of the Arabs. And we need to go back to our roots. And then they go about and try and find some pagan religions that are perhaps uh, related to their ethnicity. And this all came as a, a response to seeing that there is way too much focus on uh, looking more like uh, the Middle Easterns and thinking that this is what you need to do as soon as you accept Islam you need to wear the red and the white thobe and all of that stuff and they're like no 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 th this is not me and if there was more uh, um, clarification around that that say Islam is the deen of Allah it was the deen of Allah since the time of Prophet Adam it has nothing to do with a particular ethnicity and you can stay Nigerian Somali you can stay Bengali and be a Muslim I think it's important that we educate the people on this and alhamdulillah, there's also a lot of khair. I mean, you see how diverse the Muslim communities are. It's just that recently there has been this, uh, like you mentioned, Arabization of, of Islam that must be uh, uh, talked about. If you want to add anything. Uh, yeah, I mean, speaking uh, to the point that Abdul Haq made, uh, the doctor made a critical point and you um, also elaborated on it a little bit. When I became a Muslim at the age of 22, 23, and I went to a masjid, I found some people who were making what is known as khuruj fi sabirillah, a few days in the masjid. The African-American elders that I met who were 40 and above in their age, believe it or not, they were speaking English the way immigrants and foreigners to America speak English because they understood in order to be a Muslim, I have to become an Arab or I have to become Pakistani. And that's not the reality of our religion. You come into an Islam and you remain who you are. There's no problem with that whatsoever. 
No, Jazakallah Khair. Uh, no, it's extremely important that we really tackle these issues and talk about them. Um, inshallah Ta'ala, I'm, I think it's about time that we conclude uh, this conversation. Uh, I ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to cleanse the hearts of the Muslims and everyone else from these social ills, from racism, and be among those that practice Islam the way it should be. Um, I would like to thank uh, our guest, Dr. Abdul Haq, uh, very insightful uh, um, um, comments that you made. I really benefited from them. Uh, likewise, Sheikh Abu Osama, Jazakallah Khair. Uh, it was a genuine pleasure to have you. And I hope that we can have you for more conversations, inshallah ta'ala, about this issue and other issues as well. So we're going to conclude here, inshallah. Again, uh, thank you all for uh, coming. And uh, Jazakallah Khair. Jazakallah Khair. Shukran, Dr. Abdul Haq. Wayak, Jazakallah Khair Sheikh, Jazakallah Khair my brother, MashaAllah, Imam, Alhamdulillah. No, Barakallah Fikum, inshaAllah. So we're going to conclude here, inshaAllah. Hada wa akhir da'wana, Alhamdulillah, Abdul Alamin, Assalamu Alaikum, Rahmatullah. Wa Alaikum, Assalamu Alaikum, Assalamu Alaikum, Assalamu Alaikum, Assalamu Alaikum, Ass